Welcome to For the Love of the Game, our fifth episode podcast brought to you by Horsebills.com, hosted by Bob Ike and Mark Dosh. We are the owners and partners of Horsebills.com. And Mark, we had a lot of fun sitting down with Nick Casado the other day. He is head of Slam Dunk Racing. We sat down, we had an entertaining conversation, sometimes emotional, and got his whole story of how he got started in the business to where he's at today. Yeah, just like similar story to so many others that are achieving success in the business now. They started with a passion for the game at a young age, have held many hats in the industry and stuck with it, and now are experiencing success in their current roles. And Nick Casado of Slam Dunk Racing is no different. He started out as a gambler, a jockey's agent, and now he's a prominent owner here on the West Coast with horses all over the country and now all over the world with Axelrod heading to Dubai. And I think it's special for him. He's got his son Ryan there as his right-hand man, so they're kind of working as a team. So I hope you enjoy this episode. We did. Uh, It's entertaining. As I said, Nick got a little emotional during part of it, and uh, we'll come back and close out the show after you listen to Nick Casado from Slam Dunk Racing. Welcome to the For the Love of the Game podcast. Bob Ike and Mark Dosh, we're the owners and partners of Horsebills.com, and we're joined by a good friend who's made a big name in the industry, Nick Casado of Slam Dunk Racing. Good morning, Nick. Good morning, guys. Uh, you're a local guy, Temple City, grew up right down the street from Santa Anita. How did you get started coming to the races? Came uh, to the racetrack often as a, as a youngster. Um, my dad was kind of a, what we would call a gambler. And um, Arcadia was lucky enough to have a um, a class where you, Bob, you didn't go to Arcadia, right? No. But you but know, I know a lot class. of guys who did. Yeah. yeah. So all the Arcadia guys, they got to come out here and get credit for it. Um, I kind of had to leave classes early, stay, extend my lunch. But I've been coming here since I was God. I can remember like races in the early seventies. I think Lazanzara. Um, was a filly that won the San Juan back in 71, if I remember correctly. So it goes it goes back a long ways, but just been a local kid that's brought up around Santa Anita. And a lifelong fan. What was your first job in racing? I worked in um, marketing. Got back with Kurt Hoover and Lou and all those guys. Kip Hanna. I think you know a lot of the names yeah. that I'm saying. Yeah. We did all the, um, all the mailing. You know, it's not like the way everything's pre-sorted now. We had to go through them hand by hand and count like those derby um, where you filled in the bubble mm-hmm. or you picked your derby winner. I used to play those. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's how we did the mailing list. So we would sit up in the room and pile through literally hours and hours of mail just to get a mailing list. So that was the first job I had on the racetrack. Nothing to do with horsing. I mean, right. n- nothing to do with horses. So how long did you do that for? That was kind of like a brief job. I think I did that one summer. It was probably the most boring job I've ever had. So how long did it take to transition into becoming a jocks agent? So being a jocks agent, I was um, going to Cal Poly Pomona. And I was an animal science major. I was going to become a vet, or at least I thought I was. And um, at that time, I was umpiring high school baseball and refereeing high school basketball. I was also working over at Chili's as a waiter. And um, I had always seen the agents, you know, walking around Scotty with the binoculars and Ron Anderson and <laughs> thought, God, this is the easiest job in the world. All you have to do is just carry binoculars and walk back from, 
you know, the gift shop essentially to the jocks room and talk about your, you know, how your jock messed up that race. And uh, a guy by the name of Tony Strangio came in. And at that time, he had Christine Davenport, who was a female apprentice rider. And I was in my, I had a semester to go at Cal Poly Pomona. And he says, hey, have you ever thought of, have you ever thought, you know, I know you're around the racetrack a lot and you have a lot of knowledge and people you know, have you ever thought of becoming an agent? And I'm like, wow, I want to do that. So one thing led to another, I ended up taking your book. And John DeSantis, who was a friend of mine and an agent at the time, he kind of coached me through my first summer at Del Mar with her. And that's kind of where it all evolved. And, and it was a struggle in the beginning, and then it led to, you know, bigger riders and, and better things happened. But that's kind of where it all evolved back in, uh, well, maybe 26 years ago. So it wasn't glamorous at the beginning. How long did it take to kind of get, get, your, you know, get your foot in the ground and realize that this is what you want to do and you're actually able to make a living doing it? It definitely wasn't glamorous, Mark. It was, uh, it was a, I paid my dues. Uh, fortunately, a rider by the name of Patrick Valenzuela gave me an opportunity fairly early in the game. Um, he was with Jeff Franklin at the time, who was an agent around here, and a very successful agent. Uh, they had the contract with Alan Paulson at that time, where he was, I think, making like a million dollars just to ride his horses, and he could ride outside horses as well. He gave me an opportunity and my career kind of just, you know, picked up from there. So Patrick giving me a chance was, was a huge break at that, at that time in my agenting career. So you had Patrick, you had um, Garrett Gomez, Victor, um, Corey Nakatani. Mm-hmm. Uh, two of those guys are in the Hall of Fame and two of them aren't. Do you think that the two that aren't should also be in the Hall? Well, you know, I mean, Victor's won, obviously, a triple crown. I, I don't see how... He's not going to get in. Um, I don't know if there's a Triple Crown winning jockey that isn't in the Hall of Fame. I think he did get in. Okay, who's the rider that didn't get in? Um, I'm sorry. Corey and P-Val. Obviously, oh, P-Val okay. had yeah, a lot, yeah, yeah. He had a lot of off-track. My, my bad. Issue. Victor is in. You're right. He just got in like yep. like two years ago, I think, right? Right, yeah. Patrick, I, I mean, the talent is definitely there. Um, I think I think with what happened to him in his um, hiccups along the way, definitely kept him out of out of the hall. He's definitely a good enough rider. He, he's better than some guys that are in there. No um, and with Corey, I just think the lack of winning, which I was alluding to with Victor, forgetting he was in, the lack of winning like a classic race. He never won a Breeders' Cup Classic, never won a Triple Crown race. I think that's probably going to keep him out. Lots of interesting personality stories within that foursome, obviously. Um, what were a couple of your biggest highs as an agent? A uh, couple races we won in Dubai, we won the Golden Shaheen, but I would say the biggest thrill of my agent and career was winning the Breeders' Cup here for Dave Hoffman's. Um, and the Phillies' name is kind of eluding me right now. We have 67. Adoration. Adoration. There yeah. you go. They actually have a stake named after. But, um, you know, with Patrick, you never knew what you were going to get. And uh, people would often ask me as an agent, how many, how many races are you going to win today? And with Patrick, literally, you could win however many he rode. You can't say that about a lot of other jockeys. You know, you, you, you know you're pretty much limited to what they're going to do um, in any given race. But... That particular race, I don't think anyone thought we had a shot except for Patrick. And he just, you know, stole the race, as he oftentimes did. And 
that was probably my biggest thrill. I was here with my son, who was fairly young at the time. My dad was coming to the races at that time. It was kind of a uh, hot day. We were out in the sun in the grandstand, and it was a it was a cool start to Breeders' Cup that morning. We, we joked a little bit how about it's not all glamorous. Um, what are some of the lows uh, throughout your career that come to mind? And at some at one point, you stepped away from the game for a couple of years. And what what led to that happening? That's hard because <laughs> I think of Michael Bays. Yeah. So. Shouldn't ask me that. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that's a tough question, you know. That's my biggest low. Yeah. Boom. Coming back into the game, you know, now as head of slam dunk racing, uh, you know, you've done the jocks agent thing. You've cashed a couple nice bets, which we might talk about in, yeah. in a minute. But um, what drives your passion for staying in this game and being uh, such a big part of it? Um, you just said it, the passion. You know, I grew up around it. Um, always wanted to be a basketball player, but I was... Uh, physically challenged just you know as far as I don't I didn't have your length Bob. Um, you know basketball's always been my my number one sport but growing up around racing it's just man it's in your blood and as as you both know you come around here on a daily basis and it just it gets into your bloodstream it's it's hard to get it out and when I left for the brief period um I kind of um I, I didn't really take it a big step away from the game because I was only probably gone about six months and started a couple other uh, ventures and um, then got into slam dunk and obviously it's grown in the two and a half years we've been doing it but it's hard to get away from this game you know many people leave but they come back in some facet or another you know like yourself you were a handicapper and you know now you're doing horse bills and um, it's just it's a great game. Yeah, I wish more people had the feelings that, that the three of us have. Well, in that regard, so as part of Slam Dunk, you're trying to bring more owners into the game, bring awareness, and a lot of the guys are maybe involved in sports, and in the the name of the syndicate is Slam Dunk. How do you compare or how do you try and sell racing to the same type of personality that people that like sports and basketball um, but maybe aren't into racing? Well, you mean like comparing the, the sports to them? Correct. Or just, you know, the, the interest in it, trying to have – the, the the person that's interested in horse racing is the same person that's probably interested in betting on sports, um, into sports. But a lot of times, you know, obviously horse racing isn't as mainstream. You've as even got a couple co are. coaches and ex coaches yeah. involved, and yeah, there seems it, to be an overlap in there. Yeah, there there is. I mean, it's a very competitive game, and many guys that have won, like for instance, uh, Coach Patino. He's um he's now a member in Slam Dunk. He just got in on this recent group of horses, and. I've never won a national championship as a coach. I've never won a um, Indy 500. But, you know, I, I think of A.J. Foyt when he got into horse ownership. This is back years ago. He thought the high in horse racing was even bigger than when he won the Indy 500. Coach Patino, I've shared some thoughts with him. Um, he's won a national championship. He loves horse racing. Mick Cronin's a partner of ours. Um, you know, he's a successful basketball coach as well. And he just, again, he, they, they, these guys have been around horse racing for a while. Um, 
and, and it's in their blood. As far as getting new people in, I think that's where we lack. Um, it's kind of an older person's game. I mean, my son and some of his friends are in it. You know, you got Matthew Nakatani you were with earlier uh, today. And his, his father's, well, his father was a rider. We don't know if he's going to come back yet or not. But as far as getting new kids into this game, I don't know what we do with that. I mean, that, that's kind of like the unsolved mystery, I think, to this sport. Um, I'd like to see them kind of do some handicapping things with some, maybe like have some sort of a Pac-12 tournament, maybe even open up the infield to some uh, beach volleyball type things. Um, I think there's things we can do to get new interest, but I don't necessarily know what the right answer is. When you started Slam Dunk, um, I don't want to say a hobby because we've thrown that word around today a little <laughs> bit, like nothing in this game is a hobby, but did you ever envision that it would grow to the point where you have now 20 plus some horses and you know, a, a, a string of partners? I mean, did you ever envision it was going to get to this point? I didn't. I didn't. I thought it would be, I thought we might get about six or seven guys in. And when we started, that was about how many we had in. And I thought we might get up to maybe 10 or a dozen horses. And the next thing I know, I look up and I was even saying to, to Ryan just about two months ago, what do you think the number is on horses we have? And he goes, God, I think it's, you know, probably about mid fifties. And as it turned out, it was 67 at that time. Um, I'm sick. Um, I shouldn't have this many horses. I, I definitely have too many myself. I mean, I have nine brood mares. But again, it's like it's it's pedal to the metal for me, and and sometimes I have to take a step back. And he keeps me um, he keeps me in line as far as not extending myself too far. But I've already kind of gotten there, I think. So you've had some really good success over the past year finding private sales horses from around the country horses from europe what's kind of your your routine as far as finding these horses the work that goes into it because it doesn't just happen magically um there is a skill to it and um a lot a lot of people can figure it out because people spend a lot of money with no success but you've been able to find the right horses and have some success in the last couple of years yeah well thank you mark i mean we've been very fortunate you know in in the first two and a half years. Um, I think what I would probably attribute a lot of it to is when I was an agent, I got to cultivate a lot of relationships. I got to kind of see um, different personalities, different, different people that are successful and those that aren't. And I tried to, when um, I started Slam Dunk, gravitate to those people like with buying horses and stuff that, that I can trust, that I think will do a good job and I kind of had a leg up because I already knew these people. A lot, of the, a lot of the people that get into horse ownership or that maybe start a syndicate, they don't have 22 years of getting to know a lot of your resources. So I think that gives us a huge edge to, um, to being successful. And that's what I would attribute a lot of it to. How much does it, of research that you put in day in and day out, watching films, trying to find horses? I mean, it, it's a full-time job. What, 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 kind of, what does that entail as far as finding the right horses, aside from just having the connections and trusting people that are going to do, do right by you? I mean, you, you have to do your homework, you know. Um, I keep alluding to when I was an agent, but, I mean, even, even looking at that, you have to know your inventory as an agent. You have to know the horses are out there. You have to hit the right trainers up to ride them. And, and just because you're knocking on doors doesn't mean you're necessarily going to get that mount. 
um, with, with scouting the horses. I've, I've got my son that's pretty diligent looking at them. Um, that's probably his, um, I would say that would probably be his most passionate uh, part of the sport, finding new acquisitions and looking, you know, delving through racing forms and finding future entries. Mick Cronin is also um, constantly um, bringing horses to my attention. Even during the season? Um, well, I'm not going to say during the season. Of course, during the season, he's not looking at anything. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he would be one of the guys in his spare time when he's not uh, racing up and down the sidelines. He's looking, he's opening up forms. And, you know, I mean, and, and I, I want the partner's involvement. I mean, there's some guys that I haven't even mentioned because there's a fairly long list, and they're even sending me horses. Um, they tend to kind of find the obvious horse. Matter of fact, I was approached this morning about claiming a horse this weekend, and I just oftentimes think that the obvious is in there for a reason, and we tend to kind of, um, when we've been claiming at least, we kind of claim the obscure horse. Um, and with Euros, I mean, I just, I've got a real... I've got about a group of four guys that are looking for us all the time. It's not just one particular agent. And uh, we go through them and decide if they think, you know, if we think they fit our profile. And we've been very, very fortunate. Because even if you find the right one, you still have to stay away from injuries. Uh, you know, we've had bad weather now, missing training. So you still have to, you know, luck is a huge factor in this game. The, the Euros have been really good to you this year no doubt about it so you guys are doing something right there but I think the success story for slam dunk in 2018 has to be Axelrod I mean a horse that you didn't pay a lot of money for ended up selling him privately ran in the biggest races in the country including the Breeders Cup Classic I mean that has to be very gratifying to come up with a horse like that yeah it was it was and it was a huge shot in the arm financially for me um, he was not a partner horse so I was lucky enough to have him and, and be able to um, sock some of that money away for my um, for paying for a lot of these brood mares and weanlings and, and, and the like. But um, yeah, I mean, we found him as a yearling. He was a bargain buy. Michael McCarthy found him for me. I'm very thankful for that. Um, paid twenty five thousand for him, and he went out to run. I think he ran out almost seven fifty. And um, then we sold him. I got to retain. Uh, 10% with him, so I still get to, and I'm still along for the ride, even though I'm just a minor uh, shareholder, and he's uh, in quarantine right now, um, out at Flag is Up Farm, and from there, he is going to be going to uh, Dubai, so he should have a campaign there, and hopefully he, you know, I mean, the way he shipped to the races, the derbies at, at, uh, in the Midwest this summer, Shipping really has not been a problem for him. So we're hoping that he likes Dubai and uh, can have some luck over there. The plan is to get him a, a prep race or two in there before the World Cup? That's what they're planning on. I'm kind of a little bit, you know, kind of remains to be seen once he gets back there. But there is a prep for him, Mark, and they're going to run him there. And the whole reason they're, they're thinking of getting back earlier is to get him acclimated. So he's kind of got to do a month in quarantine here to then be more settled there as opposed to going in. They say that the quarantine barn there in Dubai is like, I want to say it's like three miles away from, um, it's not Mad Al Sheba, what is it now? Uh, yeah, Maidan. Maidan. So I think being there and, and 
and being in the elements would, you would hope, would be advantageous for him. You've talked about your son, Ryan, who's here with us. He's kind of been your right-hand man in slam dunk racing. Is this something that you wanted for him, or did you try to steer him away from the racetrack? Uh, <laughs> or he just sort of gravitated here as well. I love you ask that because well. you're smiling as you're asking because <laughs> you kind of know the answer. Um, again, yeah, definitely tried to steer him away. Um, I wanted more for him than horse racing. I think as parents, we all kind of want more for our kids than what we had. But... Um, there it is again, you know, it was in his blood. I mean, he's kind of, uh, he's got it on both sides. His, his mother's father was a jockey and then became a trainer. And then he had me running around here as an agent since the time. He had he no was, chance, right? He had no, he had chance, no chance, chance to do anything <laughs> but be in horse racing. And, you know, I told him if he finished college, you know, I, I would do anything I could to help him, whatever his passions were. And now he's been a big, big help to me. And, you know, it, he's... He's a big driving force to keep me going because this game can really rock you. And um, he's kind of there to say, come on, Dad, let's pick up the pieces and let's move forward. And he's also there to kind of tame me with my um, spending sprees, my spending sprees <laughs> and my overbuying. So he, he's, been a, he's been a big blessing to slam dunk into me as a father. So you talked about it kind of all started with the gambling. And we've talked before about a lot of times winning a gamble is more exciting than winning a race as an owner. Um, you actually made some headlines and were in kind of the mainstream press uh, last year with a gamble that you made. Um, for people that don't know the story, why don't you kind of lay it out as far as how you came up with uh, Justify and uh, the, the, uh, the windfall that came from that kind of information that you were able to acquire. Okay, so it was back, I want to say, um, early February. I don't remember if I placed a ticket on February 11th or 12th, but I know it was one of those days. And maybe a day or two before that, I saw a horse work here at Santa Anita. And um, it was obviously a Baffert horse. We all know his saddle towel. So I, I said, Bob, who was that horse you worked at at 7.30? And he goes, uh, that's my derby winner. And I said, really? I said, well, does he have a name? And he said, yeah, his name's Justify. So I immediately got on the phone to a, a good friend of mine who used to run the sports book at the Win, Johnny Avella, who is now, um, he's with uh, DraftKings now. Um, so he, he sets all the lines for most of the sports in Vegas. And he's the first one to always have out a future book line for the Derby and the Oaks. So I call him and he says, well, um, justify. Let me get back to you on that. So he sends me a text that says, um, trained by Baffert, paid a lot of money for him, and is breezing well. I sent back in a text, John, I don't need you to tell me the things he's doing. <laughs> That's why I'm trying to bet him. I said, all I need is what line will you give me? And now this is all again, this is in texting. So it's, it's a, uh, it was a, probably a 15 minute conversation. He sends back, I'll give you 250 to one. I send back, how can you give me 250 to one when you have horses on the board at 300 to one. You didn't even have him on the board. Yeah. How are you gonna give me less than what you have horses already on there for? So I kind of conned him into giving me 
300. Even though, in, in all honesty, 300 was probably a short price at that time. You're talking February. He hadn't run yet. He hadn't run, run yet. And um, he acquiesced and gave me 300 to 1. And we hit a good score. But, you know, if anyone else trains him, or if there's one hiccup along the way, if he misses one race, he doesn't even run in the derby. So, in... In retrospect, three to three hundred to one was probably an underlay. I mean, it, it looks like a big score now, but he probably should have been six hundred to one at the time I bet him. Right. Well, the, those Derby future bets are are general underlay, and that's why Vegas offers them for suckers that bet Precisely. them. But, yeah. But in this case, it, it worked out. Now there was another opportunity to bet him to win the Triple Crown, but you you passed up on on making even more money. It, I, wasn't, it wasn't enough for you. I didn't think so. It was after he, I believe it was after he broke his maiden. I'm pretty sure it was, and I, I, I reached out to Johnny again, and I got him on American Pharaoh, too. So he's always, that's why I think he went to lay me 250 on Justify. He's, he was a little gun shy. So. You're noted as a sharp, as, as a sharpster. I wouldn't say that I'm sharp, but I get lucky a lot. <laughs> so, um, I call him after his maiden victory, and I said, okay, what will you, what will you lay on this horse? To win the triple crown and he tells me he'd give me a hundred to one well i've got him at 300 to one to win one race now i'm gonna now he's gonna have to win three in a row so we passed and that would have obviously been a good bet as well but it was one that i passed on so we've talked about kind of how a lot of the gate time the, the gate the sport isn't glamorous and you've been in a long time when you look back and you have some perspective now from everything that you've done in the game do you, are you enjoying what you're doing now, day in and day out? I mean, the, the, is it you're, we're in the game, but the passion for it, is it an enjoyment, or, or is it still kind of a grind? Oh, man. The question you asked me earlier was an emotional one, and it, it, it got to me, and you guys saw that. Um, you know, I, I want to reflect on that a little bit. Um, it was Michael Bays, and, you know, he, he obviously died at a very young age, and... Um, he and I parted ways, and it was very amicable. I was kind of like an older brother to him, and he just never got on track again. And it, it just, that was a low moment for me in the game, and it, it, hits, it hits me to my core when I even think of him. Um, is the game, uh, I would say the game is tougher now for me than at any point in my aging and career. Uh, the stress level is definitely ramped up. I have a ton of money invested in this. You know, before, if a rider, you know, decided to let you go, you move on and you pick up the pieces and you grab another rider, there's no way that I could just say, okay, I'm in this game today and I'm gone tomorrow. I have my whole life in this game. So that, I think, also probably ramps up the pressure. Um, tough, tougher now than at any point in my racetrack career. I think that's kind of what you were asking, isn't it? Yeah. So then what's, what's the future like? Is it, I mean, is it, obviously you're invested with slam dunk racing, so that's, that's, that's the, the future. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, there's no turning back now. You know, I mean, it, it, it would take probably six months if I decided, okay, I want to get out of this to, to kind of be out of the game. And that, that's not on the radar at all. We're moving forward, and um, I probably need to take uh, a lesser 
shareholder stake in these horses. Um, I don't need to be taking 25, 30% of horses. That's why I'd kind of like to get more and more people involved in the game. So Nick can take a little bit less and I can give my partners a little bit more. Um, but yeah, we're, we're full throttle. I mean, things are, things are going great. Uh, I got my son with me. He's helping out and you guys are doing the books and helping out hugely. You know, we were doing that before and now you guys have taken that burden off of our shoulders and we're very thankful for that. Talk about that challenge of uh, the other part of racehorse ownership is the billing and the books and all that and what kind of challenges that presents for, for everyone involved, you know, you, your partners, the vendors, um, yeah, it was just a, a huge piece of a... I mean, it was a nightmare. You know, I mean, I'm not an accountant. And what we've taken on just trying to find the right horses is probably... Not probably, it's it's a 60-hour-a-week job. And then when you, when you combine the book work in with it and the accounting and everything, it was just... I, I was completely overwhelmed. And it was probably taking me a little bit away from doing what my strong suit is, 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 you know, finding the horses and getting the guys together. Um, so with, with you guys doing that for us, I mean, you know, it's, it's awesome. And working with the vendors, it's kind of a, a seamless transition. It keeps us from having to um, be in constant um, contact with the vendors. And as you guys know, I mean, the bills in this game, we have 67 horses. And someone was asking me the other day, how much mail do you get? And I said, I don't know. We probably get like five things a day on horses. And my son's in the back and he's like, five, Dad? <laughs> he goes, how about like 35? So all that stuff now goes to you guys. You guys get to look at it. And, you know, that's your strong suit. You guys are set up for all of this. We're not. So um, it's, it's been a big shot in the arm and it's, it's helped us out a lot. The good, good place to close. Appreciate your time, Nick. Appreciate your passion. Uh, we call the podcast for the love of the game, and you certainly uh, embody every bit of that. So thanks for your time. Continued success with Slam Dunk Racing. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you having me. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed our interview with Nick Casado. We sure did. And, and Mark, to close out the show, the big news coming up this weekend, Saturday, Pegasus World Cup Day. We've got the $9 million uh, World Cup Classic, and then, of course, the turf race, which has been added this year for $7 million. Those races were drawn today, and any uh, initial thoughts? Maybe start with uh, the big one, the dirt race. Yeah, it sure, lo- sure looks like it's a two-horse race between Accelerate and City of Light, old rivals getting back together uh, for this big race with the big purse. Um, Accelerate likely going to be his final career start. He's been training like a beast, supposedly, here at Santa Anita, uh, despite m- maybe missing a little bit of training due to the weather. But it definitely looks like those are the two prime contenders. Um, Gunavera has been the wise guy horse in so many of his races. Uh, it is in his ho- on his home track at Gulfstream, and the pace should be honest. So he can definitely set up for him coming from, from way back. But he just seems to always come up a little bit short. Um, so definitely it will expect him to finish somewhere in the money but whether or not he can get up for, for the win is a question mark and uh I, I would definitely lean towards those three i think those are three are probably going to be the top betting choices but i just don't see it, these other horses on the same level as that as they are and then you have uh a, you know an, not really an x factor but just an interesting story with the mexican undefeated horse kokokin in this field and 
Uh, I think he's uh, definitely way overmatched, and his undefeated streak is going to come to an end in this race. You mentioned the two principals. This will also be City of Light's final race, so it'll be retirement day for two of them. They both drew well. City of Light in the three post, Accelerate in the five post. Let me throw a couple names out that may be just a little bit of a price that at least they have some sort of tactical uh, foot, even though they're drawn poorly outside. Audible, the 10, he disappointed last time, but he's run well at Gulfstream. And the 12 pattern recognition way outside, but this is a horse who has been really sharp. I'm thinking maybe those two have a chance to get a piece. I don't know if they're good enough to beat the big two. Yeah, pattern recognition, uh, Chad Brown horse. So you can never underestimate him when he brings a horse to the dance. And the horse has won three straight, including the Cigar Mile at Aqueduct in his last start. So um, potentially he's maybe one of the ones that could uh, pull up a mild upset if things fall his way. But like you said, from the outside 12 post, he's gonna, he's a, a little bit up against it from the beginning. Mark, I still need to do more work on the turf lineup. Uh, do you, any, any thoughts there? It's a field of 10. We've got Yoshida in there for Bill Mott. We know he's a nice horse. You've got a Japanese invader and Aero Life next shares for Richie Baltus. Uh, Fahan Mira, a horse we know from the West Coast for Vladimir Seren, has got a lot of speed. And Catapult, also uh, John Sadler. So a, a good, strong 10-horse field in the initial running of the turf race. Yeah, I think you hit on most of the major contenders. Um, I think it's a evenly matched field, but I'm kind of disappointed at the strength of the field because for $7 million in a turf race, there are so many good horses in Europe and you know even Japan. You, know, you mentioned Aerolith coming over, but she's, she's probably not the best uh, turf horse in Japan. So um, with this kind of a purse, you would expect maybe to see some of the, the more heavy hitters um, take a crack at it. But con considering it's the inaugural race, maybe a lot of them hadn't campaigned probably for it and weren't set up for it. So we'll look for future uh, editions of this race to maybe bring out more of those uh, turf stars uh, on the international scene. The one horse you might, you have, you left off was magic wand. Um, she is from the Aiden O'Brien yard. She came over for the breeders cup and she finished fourth. Um, maybe not her best effort, maybe not the best trip, but um, based on her form in Europe against some of the top horses there, even though she's, on a bit of a winless streak, uh, I think she is a major contender as well. Well, it'll be a fun day Saturday at Gulfstream, a 12-race card. Those are the last two races on the program. Santa Anita will have an 11-race card. Uh, Mark, a quick recap of what we saw this weekend at Santa Anita. Uh, a couple old friends, Roy H., the two-time Breeders' Cup sprint winner, did it again. Could not have won easier in the Palace Verdes. Uh, we had Peter Miller and Brian Trump on a podcast earlier, so good to see those connections. And uh, Roy H. going to head back to Dubai and try to get it done this year. This horse is just an absolute beast right now, and it goes to show you what happens when you know he got hit. His career took off when they gelded him, and the benefits of him being gelded is now he's he's sticking around racing later into his career, which we don't get to see with so many of the stars at a younger age. And so he's really found a groove the last couple of years. And um, I mean, he basically won in the jog and he ran under 109 and it wasn't the greatest field of sprinters, but there were, it, you know, there were some decent horses in there. And I mean, he made them look like cheap claimers the way that he put them away. And so um, it's just been one consistent start after another for him. And um, he's going to go for the big money again in Dubai, like you said, and he, another uh, strong campaign. He'll be looking for his third straight Breeders' Cup sprint at the end of the year. 
Yep. And then another wind machine we saw yesterday in the megahertz, and that's Basilica, who's really become one of my favorites on this circuit. A $40,000 claim by Jerry Hollendorfer has rattled off win after win. Got it done again yesterday for a new client of ours, Mark. Uh, Jerry Hollendorfer, the Hall of Famer, is on board with horse bills, and we're very, very proud of that. And uh, it was good to see his runner get the money yesterday. Yeah, so uh, it goes to show you that uh, an old dog can learn new tricks. You know, Jerry's been around for a long time, obviously. He's in the Hall of Fame. Um, he's been doing things a certain way for many decades, but he was open-minded to getting on board with horse bills and seeing how much it can help him and his clients, and things are off to a great start. And with, with Vasilica, she dipped into a grade three. Uh, she towered over those foes class-wise, but you still have to go out there and get the job done. And um, she did that from off the pace that she has been. It was a bit of a sentimental day for her and her partners as her, one of her co-owners, Dan Gatto, um, unfortunately passed away a couple of days prior. So uh, there were a lot of emotions, I'm sure, for the whole team. And uh, she was able to deliver once again. And we'll look forward to her having another strong campaign as we move forward in 2019. Absolutely. And as we're into the new year now, Mark, as we've said a couple of times before, it's time to... Now is a great time to transition over to horse bills, uh, get everything in line, get yourself set up for 2019 and uh, jump on board. And I know uh, we're encouraging people to do so. It's always a great time, uh, no matter when you decide to finally do it. Everyone that we talk to that finally does it always wishes they would have done it earlier. So it's always a great time. But yeah, at the beginning of the year, as far as how the books are lined up, it makes a lot of sense to do it now. Uh, so we look forward to continuing to go the, grow the business as, as we have been month after month and uh, we're going to be here for the long haul so um, looking forward to getting as much of the industry on board as possible uh, as we move forward and mark uh, on a personal note belated 40th to you uh, good friend you've been a great partner and uh, you've made this whole thing click so uh, we're starting to roll now four years in and uh, we're, we're having a good time and happy birthday to you I appreciate that. Um, definitely piling on the gray hairs very rapidly, but uh, <laughs> it's all good. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed episode episode five for the love of the game. Nick Casado was our featured guest today, and uh, we're going to close it out here. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy.